Father, thank you this morning for what this day represents, what this means to us, the resurrection of our Savior, the hope that that gives us. Father, we just thank you, we glorify you, we praise you, we thank you for the uh, fact that Jesus became a death sacrifice so that we could be living sacrifices for you. Father, we ask that uh, everything we do to study your word in, in song, in prayer, in, in uh, study of your love, the sermon, Father, everything would be to your glory, and that uh, you would draw many people today that normally wouldn't come, that you would prepare their hearts to hear Jesus, you would uh, make their hearts fertile soil for the gospel, and that we would see people added to your kingdom today. We pray in Jesus' name. So, after consultation with other elders, I thought we'd start this morning with uh, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15, we'll read verses 1 through 28. Whoever gets there first can read out.
Christ was raised from the dead, he ascended into heaven and now sits on the throne. And when he returns, he returns as the, as the uh, conquering king. And we read about what that looks like in various parts of the Bible. And uh, I debated this morning which way to go. First uh, Corinthians 15, because I, I text it out. I get up early in the morning, so I text it out to my buddies. I said, he is risen, waiting for the, he is risen indeed to come back, right? And, uh, and one of my friends texted back the First Corinthians 15 passage. So I thought, well, maybe I should, maybe that's what I'm supposed to read. But if you look at the Psalms also, Psalm 22, which was read by Pastor Bob on Friday, uh, the Good Friday service. Um, we would read 20, Psalm 23 today to celebrate um, the resurrection of Christ and that we have confidence in him as our shepherd. And then Psalm 24, which is the return of the king. And so we, we could, I could have gone that way, but I didn't. I, I thought we'll focus on um, that Christ is risen, that he's risen indeed, and how that impacts us. And we're in John chapter 1 still this morning, and I apologize for that, but I don't apologize because that's where, how the Lord has brought us here. So um, we're in chapter 1 of John, and we've, uh, we took a look at the, the prologue, which is uh, John's great declaration, and I didn't plug in, and that's why this thing went to sleep. Plug it in. So we know that the theme of John is one of, uh, bring it back up here, one of knowing that Jesus is the Christ, right? We, we find in John the, um, the thesis statement in John 20, 31, where he says that there are many things he could have written, but these have been written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So John wants us to know who Christ is. And, and so when we look at the, the prologue, which was added after um, the main body of, of John's message, we understand that he's trying to help us in having uh, a correct theology and understanding the divinity of Christ, understanding that Jesus um, is both fully man and fully God and how that actually um, works within the Godhead. So we have this incredible prologue to help set our theology straight. And theology is important. Um, usually I go to the Peanuts cartoon, Charles Schultz, and uh, shows Lucy in the first frame, and she's looking at this you know, torrential rainstorm, and she's really worried. And so she expresses her concern to her brother Linus, who's the preacher, and Linus uh, shares the story of Noah, and that um, what the rainbow represents is the promise of God not to destroy, um, but to bring life. And that he'll withhold judgment until the end because he desires to save people. Right? And, Lori, and, and Lucy says, wow, that, that's a big relief. And Linus says, yeah, good theology does that. Right? So, so we want to we have good theology. And John wants us to have good theology. So he, he, uh, in knowing who Christ is, he gives us this incredible prologue uh, declaring the, the deity of Jesus and that that deity became flesh. And then he gives us uh, testimonies. And that's where we're in right now. We're in a, a series of testimonies. We're going to see five different kinds of testimony um, that are given about Christ. And we see that in John chapter 1. And we see it as it, as it progresses through John so we, we know that John wants us to know who Christ is, to believe in him, and then to remain in him, to dwell in him. And that, we would understand, is the uh, discipleship focus within John. And so looking at the outline, we're actually in what some would call the book of miracles, which is uh, chapter 1, verse 19, through chapter 12, verse 50. And that this is a, a public uh, expression through various testimonies um, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And then we see a private uh, ministry of Jesus among his disciples. And then finally, we see the crucifixion and resurrection, and then an, an epilogue. And so we'll 
we'll, uh, we'll progress through that after we get through chapter 1. But in chapter 1, which we've been focusing, we, we first took uh, an, a real close look at who John the Baptist is. And that raised some questions on the uh, who is Elijah and what's that reference all about. Right? And what I would like to point out is as we move through here, um, you're going to see in chapter 1 every name of, of uh, Christ that we'll find elsewhere in the New Testament. Right? In fact, you'll find some that are only used here in the Gospel of John. But you'll, you'll find the Christ described through a variety of different names. Son of Man, Son of God, Lamb of God, um, the Christ. You'll see a whole bunch of different names. So I challenge you as we read through here, be looking for the different names of God. Because the names of God tell us something. The names of Christ tell us something about who he is. We want to know him. And we want to believe and we want to remain. So I'm going to pick up in... Uh, in verse, uh, I'll start in verse 24 again. Um, and, and the reason why I'll, I'll start there, we went through who John is. Uh, we've pretty much taken apart uh, through verse 28. But I'm going to start in verse 24, and we're going to read all the way through, and we're really going to try and get through uh, John chapter 1 today. I realize that's a big deal uh, for me. So I really wanted to get us through uh, verse 51, which is essential Easter message. Right? So let's start in verse 24, John chapter 1. It says, now they had uh, been sent from the Pharisees. It was talking about those who had been uh, pummeling John with questions. And they asked him and said to him, why then are you baptizing if you're not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? So first they came and they said, okay, John, who are you? And he said, I'm not the Christ, I'm not Elijah, and I'm not the prophet. So John answered and said to them, I baptize in water, but among you stands one whom you do not know. It is he who comes after me, the thong of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany beyond the Jordan, where John was baptizing. So we talked about where Bethany beyond the Jordan was, uh, or is, and that uh, it's a place that's not uh, clearly identified by archaeologists today, but it was in this area here uh, where John was baptizing. It's different than the Bethany where Martha and Mary and Lazarus um, recited. Um, it's the Bethany beyond the Jordan. So we, we see that John was there baptizing, and he makes an announcement that there's one coming that um, is greater than him, and that he even as a servant of the Most High God, was not worthy of, of even untying his shoe as a servant. And it says, On the next day he saw Jesus coming to him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. This is he on behalf of whom I said, After me comes a man who has higher rank than I, for he existed before me. I did not recognize him, but so that he might be manifest manifested to Israel, I came baptizing in water. John testified, saying, I have seen the Spirit descending as a dove out of heaven, and he remained upon him. I did not recognize him, but he who sent me to baptize in water said to me, He upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit. I myself have seen and testif have testified that this is the Son of God. So here we have John's testimony. And we've read in the other Gospels how Jesus presented himself to be baptized. Now, did Jesus need to be baptized? And what was baptism about? Does anybody remember what baptism was about? I heard some Renewing, repenting, changing. Right. So um, we understand that baptism, as it was practiced um, back in this time would have been something that a Gentile that wanted to embrace um, the faith of the Jews and the faith in Yahweh as God and to embrace the Jewish religious practice, and they call them proselytes, they would have been baptized because they had not participated in ritual cleansing throughout their life, and this was their entry into um, the Jewish faith. But there was also a practice of those that were uh, devout Jews that had already been cleansed, that was uh, a demonstration 
of where their heart allegiance was, right? And so John was calling both. He was calling everybody. He was making an offer to come to God, and that the way that you come to God is through repentance. And that the evidence of this repentance would be uh, humbling yourself in this way if you're a Jew, to embrace a practice that was um, not Jewish, right? It was a practice of uh, Gentiles coming into the faith. But if you wanted to show, yes, I'm, I'm, I truly believe in God and I really am repentant, that was, uh, even devout Jews would have practiced this. This was a, a humbling thing. And they would have done that. So John called all to repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that this is what that baptizing was about. Well, Jesus, did he need that baptism? Did he need to, to uh, make a public statement of his commitment to God? He is God. Right? Pardon? He said allow this once when he came to God. Yes. And the reason... You should be baptizing me. Yeah, so why would he have allowed it? Why would Jesus have said to John, you know, allow this? Well, because John was told in his ministry that he's supposed to baptize. Uh, I think we just read that. He was instructed, yeah. And then, uh, but then the one that you see the dove coming down and resting on. Right, but John didn't know when Jesus came to him, other than that he knew that Jesus was not... Um, he was, he was a man that was already devout, had already lived his life, because John knew Jesus as a relative, right? Um, so, well, he didn't recognize him as Messiah. He didn't recognize him as the Christ. How would it be if you were growing up and you're in a, a devout family, right? So John's from a family of priests, right? And... Uh, so in that, being raised up, he would have gone through a very um, strict teaching as part of his upbringing. Plus, he took a Nazarite vow, we understand. Um, so John is, you know, I don't know how, how we would describe it today, but he's a religious guy, right? Jesus is coming up through uh, the family of Joseph, and he was also devout. He practiced all of... Uh, the Jewish ritual practice as far as um, all of the uh, learning the law, recitation, participating in the Jewish festivals. He, in fact, was so intent on really learning and understanding the law, not just the letter, but all of the nuance of the law that he, at 12 years old, uh, was lost to his family because he was so into what was going on at the temple. Right? We know that story. So, Jesus presents before John, and John says, dude, you don't need to be baptized, not knowing that this is the Christ. And Jesus says, allow this. And what we see is that when Jesus is identifying himself with humanity, right, just as others were identifying themselves with humanity, being devoted to God, he is identifying as fully human in his baptism. And he presents himself. And when he's baptized, it says that the Spirit was visible in coming upon him. And there are probably incidents, as we would read through the Old Testament, where there was visible um, uh, visible evidence of the Spirit upon God's servants. Right? But that servant didn't, or that Spirit didn't remain. So John observed something different, that the Spirit came upon Jesus and it remained. And it told John something told him that, oh, here's one that doesn't just baptize in water, but he baptizes with the Spirit. He actually has the Spirit upon him and has life within him and can give that to others. And Jesus actually claims that. And we're going to see John expose that when we get to chapter 5. Jesus says um, that just as the Father has life in himself, so also the Son has life in him, in himself, and can give it to whomever he chooses. So John actually saw this, and he recognized, wow, you are the Christ. So he had had that revelation, as you described, that God had told him, but he also had um, the visual uh, proof of that. He came to know who Christ was, and he believed. And in that belief, he became a disciple of Christ. So people were disciples of John. John became a disciple of Christ. 
when he observed who Christ was. He came to know him, and he became a disciple. And then he gives this testimony. I myself have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. Testimony of John. Right? We proceed. It says, again, the next day John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. And Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, which is translated means teacher, Where are you staying? He said to them, Come and and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. So John is continuing in the ministry to which God has called him to. That he would be um, one who announces the coming of Messiah. He heralds Messiah. In that sense, um, John was the living uh, Rosh Hashanah. So that's the festival of temple or festival of trumpets, where uh, the whole point of that festival is to announce the coming of Messiah, and that's what John was. He was the announcer, and he came to announce, herald Messiah's coming, and he did that. And while he's while he's continuing in his ministry, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. There's a couple with him, and they as as Jesus walks by, John says, "That's the guy." That's the one I'm telling you about. Follow him. Yeah. Okay, so I don't want to derail us. Don't let me derail you. Uh, That's okay. Chapter today, but it seems to me that in, in uh, verse 33, where it says, that's the guy, and he's the one who baptizes in the Holy Spirit, Yep. that that's kind of what we should be looking for today. Yes. In, in other words, you should be following Jesus, not me. That's so, right. So, in other words, we don't look for baptism in water and we're in Baptist church and everything. But we should really be ultimately looking for Jesus' baptism, right. which is the Holy Spirit. And so today, <clears throat> being Easter, yep. I couldn't wait. So I got <laughs> at the end of John. Yes. And in chapter 20, uh, Verse 22, he's talking to his disciples and he breathes on them and he says, receive the Holy Spirit. And I don't know if they didn't have it before or what, but, and then if you forgive sins, they'll be forgiven. If you retain them, you know, he's kind of sending them out here. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, but then in Acts chapter 2, you know, it's like everybody receives the Spirit. Right. So, since we've talked about the Spirit a little bit, and we read it in 33, yes. can you just give a, something brief on what it is that that is and how that's something we should seek and yes. how we get that from Jesus? And Because that way, it's not just a comforter, but that's how we can be like Him. Right. So, you should have been in Iwanis Thursday night. Oh. That was the topic in Iwanis Thursday But... Uh, we understand God in three persons, right? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, what does that mean is a, is a question. And one of the things that John wants us to understand is that the Son is fully God, right? People don't debate that the Father is fully God, and they don't debate that the Holy Spirit is fully God. Right? But they'll debate that the Son is fully God. So John wants to address that issue. Well, it's because he was a man too. Pardon? It's That's right. He came as a man. Right. Yeah. So um, we understand the Holy Spirit of God being part uh, part of the Godhead, fully God, as being an agent that's involved in creation. Right? So the Holy Spirit was involved at the very beginning when uh, the material universe was created. It says, uh, the earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. So we understand the Spirit of God is that part of God um, that is uh, part of the agent of creation. The Son is also involved. Right? Um, 
And the Spirit of God is that which um, brings life to people. So uh, when the Spirit descended upon Jesus um, at his baptism, I would argue that the Spirit was already there, but the physical sign of that became evident to John. John needed to see so he could testify. That, uh, that Spirit of God which gives life uh, was resident in the Son. So, at that moment, what you actually see, and you'll see this in a, a couple places as we move through the New Testament, you'll see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit all together in one place, evident to humanity. And that, and when we um, are birthed into the family of God, so we are separated from God, what brings us back to God? How do we become part of God's family? How do we become part of God's uh, kingdom? How do we become a citizen? Well, that happens through the agency of the Holy Spirit. And we'll actually see that. John, you're like Nicodemus. Nicodemus is asking the same question. Right? Nicodemus says, Jesus said to him, I, uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he not, cannot see the kingdom of God. Right? So there is something that needs to change for you to actually have uh, citizenship and residency in the citizen and the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? He cannot enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born, can he? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So we understand that the Holy Spirit is um, part of that agency of rebirth and that um, the way that you actually uh, become in Christ right in God such that you have eternal life because God's life is eternal the only eternal life that exists is his life and somehow we need to be in him in order to have eternal life that is what the agency of the Holy Spirit does he actually um indwells you and you when it talks about being baptized into the Holy Spirit it's being identified in the same way that Christ was identified that that indwelling is there that you are a born again child of God and in fact the witness of that is the spirit crying out within you right and that um, there's more than just indwelling of the spirit there's a filling as well an enablement, an empowerment for ministry. So God doesn't just birth you, he calls you. And what we would understand if we went through all of the, took salvation apart and understood the theology of salvation, in there is regeneration, but there's also calling. Right? So God intended to create us for a purpose. He's always purposeful in everything that he does. And he calls us. Well, if he calls us, he empowers us to do that which he called us to do which is part of the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Not only does he involved in that, the agent of regeneration, and indwells us such that we have eternal life, the, the life of Christ himself, we are in Christ, um, but we're also empowered through the gifts of the Spirit. And I would, rather than use the word gifts of the Spirit, I would call it um, the... Uh, like brain deadness. That's what happens when I go off on a, on a tangent. That we have the resources of the Spirit of God. We don't own it. Like our, See, our culture understands a gift is something we own. It's ours, it's mine, I'm going to do what I want with it, and you gave it to me, so leave me alone. That's not the way it works with the resources of God. The resources of God are to accomplish His purpose. And that's what we would understand is the Holy Spirit. Does that help? Okay. So that's what's going on here, is that the one who truly can give life, the Spirit descends upon him visibly for John to have this testimony, is in their presence, and he can truly bring life. And John understands that the way he brings life is through death. This is the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. Right? So John understood through revelation 
who Christ was. But then he understood experientially who Christ was, and he believed. And when Jesus walks by, those that are with him, he says, don't be attached to me, be attached to him. Follow him. It's, it's interesting, this is, he gives us how we are to do ministry right here. Yes. Right here. Yep. So we have people that are, we're discipling, yep. but we say, don't be attached to us. Be That's attached right. to him. That's right. Pointing to him. We are pointing to him, and in that sense, we're ambassadors. Mm-hmm. We represent him, right? And we actually are in him, so people can see that in us, mm-hmm. just like they could see it in John. Right. And that's why it's like, well, who are you, dude? Are you the Christ? No, no, no. He is the Christ. Mm-hmm. That's the one who you follow. So you're absolutely right. You see a pattern of ministry here, and the reason why is because one of John's themes is discipleship. Mm-hmm. He wants you to know, to believe, and to remain. That's what it's about, right? So that's what you're going to see. You're going to see the first that are called in Jesus' ministry coming to know him, believe that he in truly, truly is the Son of God, the Lamb of God, the Son of Man, all the different titles that we're going to see here, um, and that they remain in him. They follow him and remain in him. It says the two disciples heard him speak, and they followed Jesus. So that's the first key. They followed Jesus. And then they saw, uh, as they were following Jesus, Jesus turns and says, what's up with you? Right? And they said, well, we just want to see where you live. That's what they say here, right? Uh, Rabbi, where are you staying? Well, that's, a, that's not a, you know, where are you actually laying your head type of a, a question. That's a who's your daddy type of question. So in that culture... Um, to know who somebody is and to understand them, you understand them through their name, you understand them through their genealogy, through their family connection. Who's your daddy? I want to know your daddy because your daddy tells me, me something about who you are. Just like John's daddy was a priest and said something about who John was, right? Who's, who's Jesus' daddy? That's what they're asking. They're saying, John said to follow you. So tell me, who are you? They're asking. So what does Jesus respond? He says, well, come, and you'll see. So that means that there's a personal involvement of the people in in following. They actually have to come to Jesus in order to see him. They have to experience him firsthand. That's why you must be born again. You must have firsthand relationship with God. This isn't something that you can get by just being born into a Christian family. This is something that is individual and unique for every person. You must be born again. In the sense of y'all. Right? And so what happens is, uh, so they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, where it was about the tenth hour. So they remained. They hung in with him. They followed They came and saw, and they remained. One of the two who heard uh, John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. brother. So uh, we did a little bit about uh, the family of uh, uh, John John and James, Sons of Thunder, and uh, Peter and Andrew. They're from this area up here, which is uh, Bethsaida. You can blow it up for you if you'd like. This is the Sea of Galilee up here. This is the Dead Sea. They were here, and they were walking back up to the area of Galilee, which this is the area of Galilee right here. And uh, this is uh, uh, the Jezreel Valley that runs through here and the Herod Valley and dumps into the Jordan. And so they are going to come through this this route, um, and they may have come up through this route, which is another route that they could have gotten here. But they're going to come up to Nazareth and and Cana area on their way up to Caesarea and not Caesarea, um, Brandon is here, uh, Capernaum and uh, Bethsaida area, which is in the northern part of the Sea of Galilee. It just so happens that that's where Andrew was from. and He was one of these two guys that John said, hey, go follow him. So Andrew figures out this is the Christ. And he goes and he gets his brother, Peter. Right? And that's what's, that's what's happening here. One of the two who heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. And uh, he 
found first his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found Messiah, which translated means Christ. So um, Andrew, and this is one of the things you'll find out about Andrew, he's always um, bringing people to Christ, right? He starts with his own family. And then he'll go beyond that. So here you see again a model of how we do ministry. Right? Starts the closest relationships to you, you testify. These are going to be the hardest to reach because they know you. They knew you before. Right? And so, but he goes to, to Peter, and these guys are rough and tumble um, fishermen. And he says, hey, we found, we found Messiah, we found the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John, and you should be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. In other words, he's changing his name from Simon to Rocky. So as uh, one of Jesus' close uh, disciples, one of his close followers, and what we would understand later as an apostle, um, and one of a chosen few to actually see Jesus transfigured, Mount of Transfiguration, Mount Hermon in the north. Um, This guy was going to go through it. He was going to see it all. And in the midst of that, he was going to be broken. He was going to be crushed to the point of total weeping. And that his heart was broken knowing that he turned his face away from the Savior. Even though he believed he was the Savior and announced him as the Christ to the world. This man's broken. So Jesus says, you're rocky. Not rocky in the sense of uh, broken rock, but rocky in the sense that um, it is this trial that you are going to go through that is going to strengthen you to be a foundation in, pro- in proclamation within the church. And there's a whole lot of stuff we could say about that, and we'll go down there later. The next day, he purposed to go into Galilee, he being Jesus, and he found Philip. And Jesus said to him, follow me. Now, Philip is also one of these fishermen, right? So Philip is, uh, so they're, they're headed up into Galilee, and, they're, and my guess is, is that um, the Jordan River Valley right here is fairly passable, but they may have gone inland and then taken this ridge route here, dumped out in uh, historical ground, and then came up around Mount Tabor, and then moved into Galilee through this area. Philip is, again, from the place where Andrew and Peter are from, or John is from. Yes? Yes. Can I tell you which day we're on? <laughs> well, I can I, I guess. Day. Well, should it be, be day four? Um, it, I, I would say that it's probably day uh, five. I actually have my days laid out for me here. Um, From what? From I think there's a day that's unnamed here. So I think we're in... Uh, uh, on and 43 is the beginning of the fifth day. And the reason why is because I think between 40 and 42 is a day that's not called out as a day. So if you were to look at this uh, as a seven-day revelation, um, first day being verses 19 through 28, which is um, that testimony of, of John uh, leading up to that, and then uh, 29 through 34 would be day 2, 35 through 39 would be day 3, um, day 4 would be 40 through 42. But you'll notice that it doesn't speak it out, that that's a separate day. But what, what happened here is that we know that after, uh, I'm going to say that the unnamed disciple here is John and uh, Andrew, after they spent that day with Jesus, it took a day to go get Simon and bring Simon in and have Simon spend that time with Christ that he could actually know who he was as well. So when it says he purposed to go into Galilee, he found Philip, that would be the fifth day in this trek. And, and what we're going to see is uh, we're going to um, get to um, another not recorded day after this, which is on the way to Canaan. So, and, and I'll point that out to you. I realize that's kind of a nit, but I think it is seven days that actually transpired. And so Philip is again from, did I answer your question? I guess that's one thing I should ask. Or, Me? Yeah. 
I, I think so. I guess my my question then being that when he goes into Cana, mm-hmm. that on the third day, what what significance is that concerning the seven days? Yeah. Um, I, I'm going to answer that for you a little bit later. Okay. That's okay? Yeah, um, Because, and that's why I pointed out, well, there's seven days going on here. Um, and so I, I'm going to answer that later and why that's significant and why John phrased it that way. Um, so Philip, you don't hear much about Philip, uh, but one of the things you find out about Philip is he's always one of those like Andrew that's bringing people to Christ when you read about Philip. And uh, Jesus finds Philip on the way to Galilee, and he says, um, follow me. And it says, now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. See, here you're seeing all these different titles for who Jesus is, right? Jesus of Nazareth, son of Joseph. So it says uh, Philip was from Bethsaida. So that means he was a fisherman as well um, or involved in the fishing business. He goes and he finds Nathaniel. Now, Nathaniel's from Cana. And, it's, and, and that's how Jesus ends up in Cana, most likely, is that he's actually going to that place where Nathaniel's from. And uh, Nathaniel said to him, so, so Philip brings Nathaniel, and he says uh, to Philip, he says, can any good thing come out of Nazareth? Philip, Philip said to him, come and see. Again, there's that call to, you know, don't believe me. Do a face-to-face. Meet this guy for yourself. That's the challenge that we have when people make all these different comments about Christianity and Christ and Jesus. It's like, hey, come and see. Find it for yourself. Just for craziness, mm-hmm. you blow up Galilee yep. and, and tell us where Nazareth is and then, uh, and then where these guys are, I guess, up north. Yep. So um, here. So I, uh, this is uh, uh, Jezreel Valley. This is uh, a road valley that connects to the Jordan. Um, these are uh, Mount Gilboa, which is a very famous mountain, you'll know, Mount uh, Tabor is over here. And so um, this is Nazareth. So you'll see, I don't know if you can actually see it very well, but uh, it's kind of a brownish, surrounded by green. So the green areas are the low-lying areas where there's vegetation. <clears throat> the breadbasket of Israel today is this Jezreel Valley. That's where all the farming is. Uh, it's very fruitful, that in the Jordan River Valley. Um, Nazareth is this ridge that overlooks. So Nazareth is kind of, it's off the beaten path. So the beaten path would have been from Capernaum. There's a, a gap here that allows you to kind of come inland towards uh, the Mediterranean. And then it cuts down through here and goes around uh, Mount Tabor one way or the other and ends up down here. And then from here, you can cut across, and there are passes that go through these hills, or passes that go through these hills. Uh, Modern-day Janine is down here. Uh, Dothan, which is where Joseph uh, got thrown into the well, was right in here. And so what happened is, uh, that story, is you have traders coming by. Well, they were coming by doing uh, the coastal route. They were either coming down this way and then over to the coast, or they come up this way and we're going to go over to the coast and they were they came by that area right so Nazareth is not quite on that trade route so the trade routes here Nazareth is over here so it wouldn't have been a big city it would have been a small little we wouldn't even call it a silly city we call it a village or something like that just a little little thing um, Cana uh, probably in the same order and you can see Nazareth is here Cana is here there's a valley in between them and uh, both of these are, are uh, even though they're in Israeli territory today, they're uh, primarily Palestinian uh, residents in that area. Um, so Bethsaida is up here. So the headwaters of the Jordan are up here. Um, Bethsaida is where it dumps into the Sea of Galilee. And there's a, a fishing village there, or was in that day. Uh, today it's, it's uh, recently been excavated in the last 30 years. 
uh, and then Capernaum is over here. And so this, like I say, there's this cut that goes in inland at that point. Um, so where Jesus was when uh, Nathaniel comes to him, we don't know. Um, he was probably on the way. So at some point, um, whether uh, Nathaniel was um, actually down in this area and some, you know, on business or whatever, and uh, Philip finds him. It, it was about um, not quite a hundred miles, probably you know eighty-five miles or so, um, all the way up to Bethsaida from where uh, John was baptizing in the Jordan. So it it's not a day's journey, right? So that I broke this into seven days, and I think that there's historical and, and textual evidence for that. Um, it, he couldn't have been in Bethsaida. It's like Philip didn't go all the way to Bethsaida and get him, or all the way to Cana and get him and bring him back. Um, but in any case, uh, Nathaniel says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? He doesn't say that because Nazareth is a, is a particularly bad place. Um, it's just that it's like, it's this little podunk city. Can anything good come out of there? Mm-hmm. You know, is God going to do this great work out of Nazareth? I don't read that anywhere in the Bible. The Pharisees later said the same thing, right? Where is it written the prophet comes out of Nazareth? Interestingly, Jonah was not too far from Nazareth. But, um, so Nathaniel is just asking the question. He's a devout Jew. He is uh, a man of integrity. And he says, so what's up with Nazareth? And Jesus saw Nathanael coming to him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Now we're going for time. Um, so he's, he's making a play on words here. So you know, Jacob, who had his name changed to Israel, Jacob was named because when he was born, he was clutching the heel of his brother. And... Uh, that was a, a sign that he was a, a deceiver, an usurper, one who would uh, steal the birthright, right? So Jacob was born a crafty guy. And uh, what happened is, in the course of Jacob's life, um, Jacob being descendant of uh, Isaac, who was a descendant of Abraham, um, in the course of Jacob's life, he changed that he actually wrestled with the God of his fathers and um, came, to, uh, came to know him, right? And in fact, the place that he came to know him, uh, there, when he was, if you know the story of Jacob, Jacob's this clever deceiver guy, right? He takes the birthright from his brother. His brother's going to kill him. So his mom says, oh, go visit Uncle Laban. Um, they'll, they'll bring you in and... So Jacob's on the run. You get to you find this in uh, Genesis chapter twenty-eight, um, where Jacob, on the run, uh, comes to this place called uh, Bethel, and uh, it wasn't called Bethel in that day. It was uh, okay. So um, if you look at the Jordan River Valley, um, here's Jerusalem. There is an ascent that comes up to Jerusalem. There's another ascent that comes up that is uh, the route that uh, Joshua took when he came into the conquered land. And there's a city here called Ai, a little bit further north, is, or a little bit further north and uh, west, is a city called that later became known as Bethel, which means house of God. Beth, house, El, God. House of God, right? Um, today, there is a city in that same location called Ramallah. And you read this in the papers about the Middle East. Ramallah, Ram in uh, Arabic is house. Allah, God, house of God. So they just renamed the cities, but renamed them uh, in the language of the day. Right. So Jacob is on the run. He comes to this place and he lays down a rock as a pillow. And he has a dream. And he has a dream that uh, in his dream, we call Jacob's Ladder, or Jacob's Stairway, that heaven is opened and there's this stairway or ladder or bridge between heaven and earth. And the angels ascend and descend between earth and heaven on that ladder. In Jacob's story, at the end of his dream, 
the gates of heaven are closed and that ladder is no longer existent. But he recognizes that he has had an experience with God and he names the place the house of God. This is God's house, Bethel. Right? And uh, then he goes on his way and he has his experience and later as he's coming back into the land, uh, several years later, a couple of decades, um, he wrestles with God and he gets his name changed to Israel, which means it can mean one of two things. One who struggles with God, or it can mean God's prince, if you look at it as Sarah, Sarah, or Sarah which means princess. And so it could be prince of God, or it could be one who struggles with God. And that's why what you understand is that he's changed in his relationship with God. And when it says, oh, here's an Israelite indeed, here's a descendant of Jacob, in whom is no Jacob, no deceit. There's no deceiver in this guy, Nathaniel. He's a man of integrity. Nathaniel said to him, how do you know me? And Jesus answered and said to him, before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Now, we don't know where the fig tree was. We don't know what Nathaniel was doing, but evidently it was a good thing. right? He may have been studying his scriptures. He may have been praying. Uh, we don't know what he was doing, but evidently the implication is it was a devout practice. It was a practice that would have demonstrated that he was a man that did what was right when no one was looking. So that when you saw him do right when people were looking, you knew that he was a man of integrity. He was the same on the outside as he is on the inside. Right? And, uh, and Jesus said, I saw you. And Nathaniel answered and said, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. A couple more names here. Son of God, Rabbi, king of Israel. So Nathaniel, in this instant comes to know who Christ is, and he believes. So what you're seeing is that each one of these people, in a face-to-face encounter, in coming into God's presence, recognize that he is, that he is the Christ. Jesus answered and said to him, Because I have said to you that I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. Then he gives them this key verse. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens open." and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. He's making an allusion to this guy who's a Bible scholar, Nathaniel. He's saying, remember Jacob's ladder? Let me tell you who the real ladder is. Let me tell you who the real bridge is. The one that bridges between heaven and earth is the Son of Man. And it's interesting here because the language that he used for opened is what they call a a perfect tense. And in the perfect tense, it means that there's a, an action with a continuing result. That the, the gates of heaven are opened and they don't close. That's what Jesus did. And Easter is the celebration that when Jesus went back to heaven, the gates were not closed. He is the bridge between heaven and earth. This is the salvation message that was given to the very first believers the very first followers of Jesus. That they would have life in him. That they would actually be able to be, um, have the spirit indwell them. That he would baptize with the spirit. That they would be in the very presence of God for eternity. They have a home. Yes? So it's interesting to me that uh, that John's gospel here is not just about... uh, Jesus, but it's about these men to the following society. Yes. And so now we're talking about Nathaniel, and, and Jesus gives him a pretty high compliment. He does. It, it implies in verse 50 that uh, Nathaniel follows him, but yep. he's not one of the 12. Um, or, no, so who is this guy, Nathaniel? Yeah, well, okay, you said before maybe he was. Okay, yeah. So, um, He's one of these guys, you see him in the context of Philip a lot. Philip is one of the twelve. Some people would associate Nathaniel with Bartholomew. And they would say, one of the twelve who we don't know the background of is actually this guy, Nathaniel. And, you know, these guys had more than one name sometimes, right? Or they were reckoned by more than one title. Right. So... Um, we get that from church history we don't get that from biblical revelation 
So uh, I can't say that with a certainty, but what I would say is that if he was not one of the 12, he was certainly one of the 70. There were 70 that were, in addition to those 12, that were close followers of Jesus, disciples, that didn't necessarily share all of the ins and outs, but followed and, and served in ministry as Jesus directed. Pardon? Underneath the 12, like they were disciples. I don't know that there was... Uh, a uh, hierarchy like that. I think that it uh, there's there's a limit to okay. Let me give you some math here. Um, exponential growth. If everyone in here could disciple one person this year, one person, such that that person could disciple a person next year and spread the gospel, and that the person that they discipled could spread the gospel, right? In your lifetime, you would have known and invested in maybe 30 people, maybe 35 people, one year with each, pouring your life into them. Two to the 32nd power, 33rd power, is the number of people that we have on the face of the earth today. So that means that the whole world could be reached with an active discipleship message in your lifetime. Exponential growth. So Jesus only had to invest in a small number of people, but he wanted to invest in a way that those people were so broken that they're going to lay down their life for the king. And that those that follow will lay down their life for the king. Napoleon made this statement. He said, you know, I am the greatest general that ever was. And he was a war strategist like none other. He said, but I can't do what Jesus did in changing the lives of men. People will follow Jesus today. They won't follow me two years from now. So, okay, but yeah. kind of closing here, yes. I wanted to point out that uh, the disciples that Jesus did have, okay, I was reading about a few of them in the end, okay, but look at Peter. He says, I'll die for you. Yes. And then he denies him. Yes. Okay. Look at Thomas. Yes. And the reason I pull these guys out is because when I look at myself, I see them in me. Yeah, that should, that should comfort us to know that. And that's what that epilogue is about. That epilogue is about, it's about um, John is there, so he records this. And it's a conversation between Peter and Jesus. And part of the reason for that epilogue is probably because Peter has been martyred at the time that this is written. And Paul has been martyred. And the church is wondering, what happens now? Rocky's dead. You know, What are we going to do without this powerful leader? And he wants us to know that it's Jesus who restores and gives life and calls. And that that's, that's us. We don't know what the end it will be. All we know is today. So what are you going to do today is the question. Not what you did yesterday. What are you going to do today? This is all about new beginnings. Passover. All you need is the blood of your, you know, of Jesus really yeah. on you. Yes. And you have new life. You have new beginning. Yes. Starting now. It doesn't matter what you were. Yeah. You know, and, and these guys weren't perfect. It just really spoke to me this morning. They're, they're not perfect. In fact, and and what I would say is there is no unimportant person in God's economy. So um, I'm going to read this out of uh, Psalm 118, which starts out with uh, his loving kindness uh, is everlasting, and it ends with his loving kindness is everlasting. I'm just going to pull a snippet out of the middle. The stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day which the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Easter, this is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. We're going to move from here to the service. um, And uh, we'll just go ahead and close in prayer. And we'll pick up wherever we left off next week. Lord, we thank you for uh, just opportunity to come to your word to study the lives of men that you've uh, endeavored to record uh, for us, uh, both their struggles 
Lord, um, their discovery, their following you, their uh, coming to know you, believing in you, and making a testimony, and uh, and following you, Lord, that uh, is remarkable that they truly remained, and uh, we know that. And Lord, that's what we desire. We desire to know you, to uh, come to a place where we're totally transformed by that knowledge, a place of belief, and that. Uh, in that, that we would remain in you, Lord. And we ask that your Holy Spirit uh, enable us in doing that, that we are born by your Spirit, we are indwelt by your Spirit, Lord. Fill us with your Spirit uh, for ministry this day. And Lord, uh, we thank you so much for what you're doing, what you've done, what we celebrate today in Easter. Lord, I know for me, I'm going to entertain family and most of whom are are not believers in you and Lord uh, we are witnesses wherever we go and how we live and what we say and Lord I just ask that you would empower us to live for you and that you would empower us to speak for you and that we would do that in a way that's gentle and with respect and Lord uh, I thank you for this I thank you for your provision for your protection and for your incredible service for us that you would lay your life down on the cross for us and that Um, You were raised to new life for us, Lord, to conquer death. We thank you for this. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen.